Hi guys. Hello. Welcome to Ed Arlene's Spirit Cast. If you're new to this podcast, we talk about all things related to mindfulness, magic, astrology, tarot, Reiki, meditation, anything in that realm. Today's episode, we have a returning guest, and her name is Kiera Jean Roberts. She's amazing. We love her. Yes. Can't stress that enough. And we always get excited about every guest that we have, but we're able to connect with such amazing people, and Kiera is one of those amazing individuals that we're blessed to know. Yeah, and if um, we had her on the podcast, I think, maybe a year ago. Uh, 2020, actually. 2020, okay. So if you haven't listened to that episode, definitely check it out. We'll have it linked down below, but it's not required to enjoy this episode. Um, we had an amazing talk with her. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think we need to talk too much about it. We also encourage that you go to her website and check out her book, Holy Aligned. It's on yes, Amazon. Yes. Go give that a read. But so, yeah. Got anything going on? Life updates? Everything's been pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm shifting into a new energy. Yeah. Finally, like I'm breaking out of a cycle I was in for a minute. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see what else is going to happen um, the rest of 2023. Yeah, it's been crazy. I mean, I know uh, according to astrology, it's supposed to feel like four years in one or something crazy. I think so. I yeah. think so, because I think everybody's tired of whatever cycles they've been in since however long. Yeah. So I think that we're going to see a lot of shifts happening. And right now, there's all the planets are direct, I think. They are. There's nothing in retrograde, so like, that also might contribute to the feeling of things happening and changes occurring, because there isn't that necessarily that um, combative energy, chaotic energy. Yeah, and then in March, we have that big astrological thing happening, but... We'll need to get into that. Uh, I did have a news, I guess. Um, yeah. I Big got, news. Yeah. So I am a resident artist now at an art studio, which is pretty cool. So um, if you guys like my art, you'll be able to purchase it in person. It's in really exciting. Yeah. So when we first started this podcast, your interview, we talked about how you were getting back into art. Yeah. And to actually have something like that is amazing. Just, just to have that opportunity is amazing. Yeah. And it shows you how, like, timing is important with everything. Yeah, it's really cool. So we're really excited to see what's going to happen with your... The art, yeah. Your art. Um, so if you like my art, you can buy the prints um, at a local studio. We'll have that link down below. It's called the Redfish Bowl. And I'll be selling original works there as yeah. well. And there's going to be, like, exclusive art for them. And then I'll still have the art on my website, too. But, yeah. woo. It's exciting. <laughs> We're really happy about it. Yeah. You can't tell. Yeah, it's really awesome. Um, and I think that's the big, big, big news. thing. Uh, you know, and we've been doing our witch circles recently. We've been more active in the... Local witch ma- community. Yeah, yeah. So that's been a, a joy. Everything's aligning perfectly. Mm-hmm. We're having a lot of fun. <laughs> we are. This is a really good year so far. Um, do you want to tell them where they can find us at? And then we'll play yeah. our ads and get into it. So you can follow us over on Twitter at edpro underscore pgh. You can follow us on Instagram, Tumblr, Facebook, TikTok, at edarlene. You can follow us on YouTube where we post Reiki-infused videos almost every single day. And you can go like and subscribe to get that energy. And then you can go to our website, edarlene.com. Sign up for our email list and get a free Reiki session almost every single month. We are going to get better at doing it in 2023. It's a goal. It's a goal. All right. So here's some ads and then Kara Jean Roberts. All right. Okay, guys, this is an ad. We believe in supporting small business. And today we're talking about the small business called Garage Cats. They make 100% organic 
handmade lip balm using hemp and cocoa butter. It smells amazing. It lasts for a very long time. They use eco-friendly paper tubes. They're pretty much awesome. If you are interested in supporting this business, you can find the link below or go to garagecats.etsy.com. We just want to take a quick moment to invite everyone listening to check out our shop at edarlene.com. If you like what we do, it is one of the easiest ways to support us. Plus, you will get our awesome handcrafted 100% vegan soy candles, our prints, books, oracle cards, and book a Reiki session. All of this can be found at edarlene.com and linked in the show notes. Okay, guys, we're back with Kiara Jean Roberts. We've had her on the podcast before a couple years ago, but we're really excited to have her back on again. Yeah. So um, if you haven't listened to that episode, we'll have it linked down below. And if you're new to Kiara Jean Roberts, welcome. (laughs) She's awesome. (laughs) If you could you introduce yourself and tell our listeners who haven't heard the first episode a little bit about you and what you do? Yeah, I'd love to. And firstly, I'm so happy to be back with you both. Um, and all the work that you're shining out in the world, it's so precious, including your lovely Reiki YouTube channels. I, I've really enjoyed a couple of those recently. So, yeah, my name's Kira, and I live in England. I live uh, more recently by the seaside, and I'm a nutritional therapist, naturopathically trained, which just means truly holistic around sacred reciprocity of how do we live a good life in, you know, in sacred sacred rhythms and honoring the sacred rhythms and cycles not just as humans but as as earth herself i'm also a yoga teacher so yoga and nutrition have been i guess we could call them my professional tools i've been working professionally with those for 10 years now um and i've had my own fires of experience um with my kidneys uh which has included a number of years on dialysis and two kidney transplants. So when we last spoke, um, I was, I think about six or seven months post my second kidney transplant. So yeah, that's a bit about me. I'm really passionate about pioneering real change into what we call healthcare, but we know the challenges that come with that. I think my, my lived clinical experience of four decades lends itself really beautifully to me understanding. I'm not really interested in sort of divisive them and us language. I know it's very easy to fall into that. Um, but just I have that medical vernacular and I work with medics as well in different ways. But I also love working one to one and it never ceases to amaze me how people once you give them space how people can access their their inner strengths that come in many different ways you know so how do we play to our strengths yeah and you also have um a really amazing book that we'll have linked down below as well it's holy aligned holy alive and um i love it (laughs) i was rereading it like we had talked about earlier before we started recording um and yeah, I don't know. It's just really powerful and can really like help guide you and make you feel better <laughs> about like, I don't know, like taking control of like your health and um, you combine like a lot of um, like very mindfulness. Um, there's a spiritual aspect to it. 
not just like nutrition. And then I like that you also incorporate like traditional medicine. It's kind of like you combine all of these like healing modalities, I guess we could call it, together to like help people on their journey to wellness. It's really good, really good. And actually, we could talk about this one part of the book. You had talked about hyper survival in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if you could chat to us a little bit about that. I would love to. <clears throat> we can go off on a merry stream of um, exploring the nervous system, which yeah. is so intricate and vast. And yeah, I mean, even if we just let that that land hyper survival, you know, it's so easy to get caught in those loops and those spins. Um, and sometimes it's called hyper vigilance. It's it's like this over alertness because something is being perceived, whether it's a low level and the conscious mind hasn't quite registered that yet, or if it's a very obvious presentation that only each person can feel in their own way of anxiety um, and, you know, the rising swell of anxiety and panic disorders that we have in our modern world. So it really is, um, for me, this simple things become the incredible things that we can powerfully influence this state of hyper survival or hyper arousal, which is really when, if, you know, as you're listening right now, you might even place a hand on your heart. We have all of this sympathetic nervous fiber that is supra diaphragmatic. So that simply means it's above the diaphragm, that key breathing muscle. But I'm sure, I know when I, when I feel nervous or if I'm about to give a presentation or I feel at risk, um, it's that palpitations and almost some people will get a flushing in their skin across that part. So these sympathetic fibers, they need to feel safe. So it's interesting that it's right around the heart. When those are hypervigilant and if they're kind of constantly fearing what's going to happen next, you know, this level of uncertainty that, of course, we've all been palpably seeping in in recent years, it's very important that we find ways to just let those tissues calm we need the sympathetic nervous fibers otherwise we'd get nothing done we'd be like sloths all the time which is okay for some time but not for all the time and so where we bring on more of the parasympathetic nerve fibers a really great entry point is the vagus nerve and it comes from the word vagrant so the vagrant to wonder it's this wonderful wandering nerve that has this it's actually the biggest bundle of um, nerve fibers. I think the sciatic nerve might be on a par, but it's incredibly huge and distributes itself and speaks to many, many different aspects of the body from our glands to our organs, uh, including our heart rate and our respiration rate. So I remember when I was first learning about it, I had in my mind, oh, it's just one nerve. It's just one line. When, when we mm -hmm. actually go and look at some images of it, it's like just this, this tree of fibers. So I hope that's helpful in terms of just getting more of a sense of how vast it is and why, why it's useful to know this in the context of where we might get caught in those loopings or those anxieties, whether we call it hyper-survival or hyper-vigilance, hyper-arousal, is to, to create calm for this tremendous wandering nerve. And we can do that by deep breathing. We can do that by your lovely Reiki sessions. We can do that by, you know, talking to trusted people about how we really feel rather than a performative aspect of 
yeah, this is how I really feel, but we're not quite getting to, you know, the crux of the issue because there's so many layers, right? And it can also be influenced by what we eat. So it's not to demonize things. I'm not really a fan of demonizing things. But say, for example, if if we've got an addictive pattern that we all have of too much booze or too much sugar, these things can be very, very stimulatory. So we want healthy stimulation. You know, we want to feel, yeah, I feel zhuzhy. But like we were talking about this year feels like, yeah, it's we press go. It's green light. Let's let's go. Let's live. Um, but it takes time and kindness and some level of perse- perseverance and a willingness to commit to something, even if it's just okay every day for the next 30 days, I'm going to just place my hand on my heart and just feel and just allow myself to feel whatever it is, even if it feels ridiculous, if it feels boring, maybe it feels deeply soothing, maybe it feels nonsensical, whatever it is, just let yourself feel that. Um, because What's interesting about this vagus nerve is that it's bi-directional in its messaging, meaning it's channeling messages from the brain to the gut and then back from the gut to the brain. And here's the really interesting thing is that bi-directional messaging that comes back up from the gut is far busier than the one that goes from the brain. So it's said to be, and research varies on this, but it's said to be 80% or more that the messaging is coming from gut to brain which, as we know, you know, the explosion of research in the microbiome, the criticality of our gut health to our psychological health. This is, again, it's a powerful entry point that if we just do some deep breathing and then start to come back to that self-regulating capacity, which can be very challenging. So, you know, practice and all is coming. This can start to really create a more of a sense of wholeness. So, we're not in that constant anticipatory mode. And the, the amygdala, we have these two amygdala either side of the frontal lobe of the brain, can it can get soothed rather than the amygdala going, oh, fear is everywhere, fear at all times, therefore we must constantly be hypervigilant. So yeah, how does how does that land? I think that it's very interesting because there's this like thread of worry that I feel a lot of people experience because I don't know if it's like our culture or what, but you're always worrying about what's ahead of you. And then, well, this scenario, this scenario, this scenario, like this could happen if I do this and you start spiral. And um, I felt like with myself, that type of thing kind of sneaks up on you. Mm-hmm. And then if you do take a moment, you're like, wait, I am like in this constant state of fear or worry and it's always centered around you know if you go to the base of it it's kind of like survival you know like you're worried about the future so I think it's like that part of the book was really interesting to me because it is that simple like what if you do just kind of bring it back now Devin Hunter he has a thing in his book uh this this will relate we did an episode on it and it's about the three different levels of the soul so you have like a higher self, the ego, and the lower self, and it's his interpretation of that. And the lower self's primal. Yeah. So he said yeah. the lower is primal, and that's very survival based. I mean, it's just kind of like eat, sleep, sex, like that type of stuff. And then um, your higher is this kind of like you know guiding force, and then your ego is. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with these concepts, but um, he's like, you know, our ego is how we express that. And in his um, philosophy, all three are very important, but they become out of balance. 
because our society isn't aimed at like balance, feel, having balance within, we find ourselves leaning into one of those aspects more of ourselves than what's healthy. So if you are com- focused on the higher soul, you start to neglect the physical, like your body. And then if you're too focused on like the ego, you start to like doubt your other aspects of your soul and yourself and um, can be very detached and very, um, that's where like greed and stuff like that can start to formulate. But then we can also find ourselves operating from that lower primal soul, which is very like, if it's overexpressed, it can turn into like a fear-based, like I got to get, get mine. I need to like survive. I need, you know, the kind of like the fear and you can start looping and stuff. And that seems to be what a lot of um, people are operating under. Yeah. And that's it. It, felt like another way of kind of like describing um, like hyper survival in a way like over um, usage of a certain aspect of energy within you the way that you had described like it's important to have that as a part of you but not to dominate because it can negatively impact your body what got me was the flushing I when I get too um, anxious about something I do get the flushing where that is located yeah yeah shock yeah. <laughs> how interconnected you know, it all how is. everything's so interconnected if we actually take a step back and allow moments to breathe to see it from a higher perspective um a lot of some not a lot but some of the things that may be affecting someone on their daily life can be um not solved but reduced mm-hmm. yeah it's that yeah. having that awareness allowing yourself space to have that awareness yeah that's exactly it. And I love that. I love that three-tier approach. I think that's really helpful because um, it's always about finding our ways in. And we we are kaleidoscopes. No one is one thing or one diagnosis or one label. We are all kaleidoscopes. And sometimes it's just about putting space around things. This can be a really, really useful exercise, especially if there's that looping and that spinning. And I understand. I've been there. I, honestly, I get it. It's it's maddening and it's crazy making and it's confronting. But if we can just put space and even saying but it's like it's OK, we can do that. And if we put space around the moments that we feel like that, you know, because often what happens and I've worked with um, clients with what's called paradoxical breathing. So instead of the belly inflating on the inhale, their belly's going in. So it says, and that you just can't, you're not going to level out your oxygen saturation levels. And that is immediately from a chemical biochemistry, biometric perspective is going to put your brain on alert. Like, why aren't we getting decent oxygen? What's happening? So, and of course it's, it's to your point of, you know, we want to survive and that's like, okay, what can I do to survive? What can I do? And we can get caught in that. So it's okay. I find it really helpful to develop like a a third party conversation. So, you know, to speak to yourself as either you or we. So it doesn't feel like because the eye can be can be very confronting as well. And, it you know, we're doing great. You're doing great. You're fine. It's okay. I know that you're having a really tough time right now. So because sometimes we might not have somebody in our circle at that time to help us self-regulate and co-regulate. So to just be able to have that, especially when the inner critic is banging a loud drum and this whole, you know, again, I get this cornered with self-doubt. like ah, <laughs> And bit by bit, it's all about re-education. 
and I wonder if this is helpful. Um, I'm learning a little bit more about, um, and I learned this through, I think it's called The Buddha's Brain, um, part written by neuropsychiatrist uh, Rick Hansen. And just even learning about the three key functions of the brain, I thought, oh, this is actually really helpful. So um, selection is one of the key key functions, which is basically choice. We're always making choices, aren't we? Is it safe to cross the road? Uh, is the kettle boiled? Uh, do I need to pour the tea, the hot water into the cup? So all, we're always making choices. Do I need to um, close off that relationship? Do I need to have that surgery? So from the from the tiny mundane day to day to the to the more profound life events. So selection and then regulation, which kind of ties in with the nervous system, including the vagus nerve and the sympathetic fibers. That regulation, homeostasis, is a dynamic state, just like presence is a dynamic state. I I worry that that presence is is and this comes back a little bit to the wellness industrial complex. Um, we were talking about a little bit before the interview that people think, oh, I need to be present. And then they, they expect themselves to land in some sort of Zen-like state. And presence is dynamic. So we're being present to everything. We're being present to the kaleidoscope of what we are and letting, you know, spaciousness, spaciousness, spaciousness. So even imagining that, okay, we are becoming like a cloud we've got to find our ways in or we're becoming like a waterfall and things are washing away the brain responds very powerfully to visual cues so we've got selection and regulation and then we've got learning which of course makes sense you know we're learning um very very young in life aren't we you know from naught to seven we're pretty much mirroring um and mimicking everything that our guardians are doing so all those patterns get laid down and we're also more in a theta brainwave at a young age, which is where we're more neuroplastic. Um, and this is the interesting thing about when we regulate our breath and we regulate the biometrics in the body, then we can move more into a healing state. Um, I love that so wow. much, so yeah. much. I'm sitting here focusing on my breath. <laughs> I have it, I'm feeling a lot calmer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. Whenever you mentioned the, um, the breathing, her and I had did a meditation course a few years back and the girl was teaching breathing and I found that I was sucking my stomach in. Oh yeah. Instead mm. of filling it up with air. Just naturally it's how it always I'd always done it. And she's like, No, you have to like fill in your belly. So that was really interesting you brought that up. So I yeah. struggled <laughs> with that one. Yeah. Um, I still do. I also like talking to yourself. I love that. I yeah. never thought to do, um, like, we're doing good. It's always, I'm good. Yeah. You know, the, usually the I am affirmations are my jam. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but the, the idea of talking to yourself, like, you trust yourself. You trust yourself. Yeah. And it's connecting your mind, body, and spirit. Yeah. Like, understand you. Like, you don't sometimes when you talk to other people and there's this element of like, are they going to understand what I'm saying? Or, you know, am I overburdening them? Things like that. But you don't have to have those worries if you're just talking to yourself, you know, just kind of working things through a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so pleased that that was helpful. I find it, I find it, I find it really helpful. And and I'm not sure if this is interesting. Um, I don't think I mentioned it in the book, but it was, it was a process that I went through a few years ago because um, I'm very interested in the shamanic healing arts. I've I've immersed in various 
courses with Peruvian curandero Don Oscar Miro Quesada. Um, and actually, I did a goddess um, course with his wife um, since we've since we've last connected over the past couple of years, which was profound journeying to go and meet our own goddesses. So to build. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. I mean, I interrupt you. What was this? What was this course again? Um, it's celebrating the divine, the, the divine birth, giving birth to your divine feminine. So okay. she, she, Cindy Mira Casada, um, she calls herself a shamanic doula and she's very skilled. She, you know, they're both as a couple. I mean, they're quite extraordinary and they're very grounded. They're very genuine people and they, um, they share really, really useful things in the world. But yeah, it's just that talking to yourself and this wasn't actually through them that I learned this technique. It was a book that my friend had, had lent me um, and it's by a Mexican um, shamanic person. And oh goodness, his name eludes me. I'll have to come back to that. But the, the process is, and I want to make sure I'm honoring that it's a Mexican shamanic technique, uh, is mask work. So I got a mask, you know, it doesn't have to be anything, any special mask, but just the idea is that you're disconnecting from this over-identification with personhood, not to deride the ego. We need a healthy ego for the soul to do the work in the world. But, but as we know, it's a bit like what we've spoken a bit earlier. We don't want that lower mind and the, the unhealthy ego to be constantly taking over the show. But for 30 days, you do this practice and you wear the mask and every day, you stand in front of the mirror with the mask on. So you're present with yourself, but you're not actually looking at your own face. So in a way, it's it's starting to break that, you know, what is the face we put to the world? Because that can be, you know, changing faces um, or the two faces of Gemini. There's a lot that builds into that. Uh, and then you tell your story, you know, over and over again. And, you know, for example, you know, I probably would have been talking about past relationships and heartbreak or, you know, the struggles with my with my kidney illness and the challenges that have come with that. And by the end of it, of it, I'm like, I'm so bored of my story. This is so boring. <laughs> but it took a process to begin with the first few days crying like this is so difficult. But I think it's helpful because, you know, it's great if we have access to skilled therapists and resonant people and we have an inner circle but that's not always the case and sometimes we need to just know that we can do the great work as Don Oscar calls it we can do it safely on our own um and of course you know if that sounds not a useful technique for anyone then that's fine but I found it to be very very useful yes for sure definitely um before we recorded we were talking about how uh, I don't know, 2020 to current, except for, except for 20, 2020 to 2022, felt like it was a lot of shadow work. Um, and doing all that shadow work, I realized a lot about myself. And I realized that some of the stuff that's happened in the past became my identity. And I was forced to face who is the real me? Who, what am I presenting to the world? Is this truly myself? So that's a very, very useful technique. I'm definitely going to look into that. Mm. love that yeah and thanks for sharing that so succinctly you say it so beautifully but I know that that will it's have forced. been I, yeah through life people are all faced by different challenges and we tend to lose pieces of ourselves yeah or adapt to these circumstances adapt to the changes that we didn't want or did want or life-changing thinking things were going to go a certain way and they didn't and then that becomes your story 
But we all have the power to rewrite those stories because we all have ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so useful to keep reminding each other of that. And, you know, storytelling, like the the goddesses and the myths and the legends, they're real. They, they come alive in us and how we tell them in, in, in what sort of visual cues awaken in our incredible mind. So it's kind of tapping more into that higher mind. But like that three-tier process, we we want to stay grounded because it's so easy to be destabilized and to feel like, you know, we've been shaken. Our very foundations have been shaken. And how do we hold, hold the ground beneath us? We remember that this is really interesting that sometimes when I heard this, it's like, oh God, it's so obvious, but it's so useful that one of the key laws of physics is, is gravity, the law of gravity, and that we are, we're held to the earth. Um, and to really connect with that, to even just drop into a sense of our bones and that we're, we are the ancestors living now. So we have all of that ancestral support, all of that coding is in us. So that can also be very comforting, especially if we feel, you know, this sort of crippling epidemic of loneliness and isolation and despondency. How do we help each other out of these very dark and difficult places? Yeah, just even sometimes just getting right down on the ground. Standing on the ground is great, but just lying on the ground and really feeling a surrender to gravity can really help kind of bring the parasympathetic nervous system online. So we get, you know, the good the good stuff going in our in our hormonal titrations rather than that sort of soup of adrenaline and cortisol, which it can also be very addictive, you know, those coping mechanisms, be it the coffee, the alcohol, the the sex the the sugar and this and I wonder if this is helpful around because we all develop these coping mechanisms um I think for me especially having been on dialysis from the age of 14 to 21 they're very formative years especially for a girl you know who who are we becoming are we turning into womanhood what capacity do we have to give birth to another human but just you know I guess a coping mechanism that I developed was a lot of disassociation and it was like, I'll just dissociate. And I got, became very skilled at it. And so, of course, that impacted then future relationships. Um, so I've had to do a lot of shadow work around that. Uh, but I'm sure that resonates with people. And then the coping mechanisms that we develop. What I found really helpful is this ongoing inquiry of pattern recognition. So firstly, you know, to realize we're in a trap. We've got to realize we're in a trap. <laughs> yeah. we're yeah. trapped, trapped without realizing which I know can sound a bit, oh, I don't understand. Like, yeah, but, you know, caught in a trap. Uh, and then so we recognize that. That's 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 a real awakening to recognize the pattern. And then we empower ourselves to interrupt the pattern. So whether it's just the talking to ourselves, whether it's the hand on heart, whether it's just being more aware of our breath, maybe we're not quite at that stage where we can fully regulate into a harmonious breath where the inhale and exhale are matching, we don't have to breathe like that all the time, um, but it's a technique called coherent breathing, or samavriti is the Sanskrit term, which means same wave. So the inhale rises like the ocean wave, the exhale falls away into the vastness of the whole ocean. So it's our addictions and our, our pains are powerful ways in to dismantling the things that really hold us back. Because the core integrating self is within each and every one of us. There's no hierarchy around this. I know it can seem like that with the, the amount of social injustice and the amount of, of, of terror 
that palpates through the world. But we all have access to this. And it's, again, that, that the rise of community, the rise of safe space. Like where are the safe spaces? Where can we go and sit and feel safe? Whether it's in a park, whether it's in a church, whether it's in the house of a friend, whether it's, you know, standing in snow and feeling the aliveness of that. We find our ways in and there are many. What's stood out to me is um, when you were talking about like the coping mechanisms and I feel like we do things and don't realize that that they are forms of coping mechanisms until we start a journey of healing and then you're like, oh, okay, I, I was doing this thing as a way to cope with this problem because then once you deal with it all of a sudden that behavior kind of like changes you know um so that was really interesting um now i want to want to talk about the um goddess that you had mentioned um because that last time we talked you were in the process of being a and you can correct me if i'm wrong a curandera curandera yeah curandera the, yes yes um do you want me to talk more about sort of the goddess as an energy in general, or more specifically, is there anyone popping in to your mind? Um, in general, yeah. in general is great. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is great. And there's so many ways that we can speak of this. And, um, you know, around Celtic folklore, so my mother is an Irish woman and, um, you know, she was raised as a Catholic. She raised my sister and me as Catholics. My dad is, um, uh, what would you just say, secular? Although he's very connected to nature, but, it, you know, he was in agreement that we were raised as Catholics, which is fine, and it's useful. But I, you know, by the age of 14, I was like, I, I just, this whole church mass thing is not really appealing. And I know people get lots of solace from it, so I would in no way demean that. But for me, um, I kind of stepped away from it because I think I had this this deep call of spirituality, which, again, we all have, you know, the human spirit, the spirit of the earth, the spirit of all the elements. But the goddess has been very, um, very denied. And this is, you know, this, we could say that this has been going on for 4,000 years. It's not a simple story of, you know, all oh, the women got the vote and then, you know, we've got more equality. It's still a big mountain to climb. And um, this is not at the expense of men either because we don't want to over-focus on you know, the men need the goddess energy as well. And if we use Catholicism as an example, so much was built. And I was talking about this today with my mum, actually, because we were talking about Bridget, um, the, the goddess typically associated in Ireland with Imbolc, um, the festival that we, we've just moved through. Uh, and she was saying that Bridget was um, a vox populus s uh, saint. So she was sanctified because of the people's love for her. So she was already a goddess before she became a saint, whereas a lot of the saints, there's a process, you, you know, you had to be recommended to the to Rome and, and get your get your credence that way. But the goddess has been suppressed for so, so long. And we can call this divine feminine, we can call this Pachamama, as it's called in the Peruvian traditions. We can call we can call it, you know, the 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 energy of Mother Mary, Mary Magdalene. There's a pantheon of goddesses, a pantheon of goddesses. A cr it's cross-culture. culture. So it has so many, again, there's so many ways in, and I'm sure people listening will have different ancestry and different influences, um, whether it's Irish, whether it's Caribbean, whether it's Southern Africa. 
know, the Sangoma of South Africa, the, the wise, the wise woman. It's expressed in many, many different ways, but it's been it's been pillaged and it's been destroyed and it's been shut down. And so this this sensitivity of being able to awaken our feminine aspects for you know whether we're man or woman is it's that energy of nurturance and connecting with our emotions it's the energy of the moon you know, grandmother moon we could we could call one of my goddesses that spoke to me is moon maiden so you know she's not i'm not aware of her in any other cultures but she's specifically and this is the beauty we can make these goddess energies our own we can go and journey uh, deep into our own labyrinth and meet these goddesses and see who comes forth um, for they are an expression of, of something that exists for all of us so what is it for example maybe we imagine moon maiden reaching out and placing a moon drop upon our tongue and what we might what we might imbibe in just feeling the wisdom and solace of we know I don't think it's alien to anyone when we look up at a full moon, something has to shift. Even if it's a moment, something has to shift because for as long as the world has existed and certainly for as long as humans have been on this planet, the moon is a constant. And my friend Lucy was telling me a while back um, around the deeply protective energy the moon has of Earth. There's a very specific alignment with Earth and moon that protects the Earth from destabilizing, which I think is incredible. Even just, I mean, I'm sure an astronomer and I think, well, yeah, of course, but I didn't know that. And sometimes when we just know something like that, it can be so comforting. It can be so soothing. Yeah, you know, um, so I have been on a, um, a like a little journey around this year, probably probably around Halloween um, is when it really started, but it's dealing with the goddess, but her darker aspects um, in regards to healing. You know, we mentioned shadow work, um, kind of like journeying to the underworld in a, in a sense. I read this book and I can't remember the name of it offhand. I'll probably link it down below. And she talks about like the goddess, but like the transformation she can help you work through, especially with that like nurturing and energy that can come along with it. And she can like really push us and it can be very like hard, Yeah. but she guides us through it. Um, and it, it talked about stories um, like Anana. Um, yes, I knew you were going to say Anana. Yes, yes. And you were saying Brigitte. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> her story in particular, um, I mentioned Persephone, Psyche. Yeah. Um, she yeah. even talks about um, in regards to like underworld journey, like she mentioned Jesus, like, you know, he went to the underworld in a sense, you know, being resurrected. So it's not like exclusively like a woman's journey. And then if you mirror it with like society and what women go through, it's kind of like you have this wisdom and this support with you. Yeah. And it, it's been really interesting. And um, like I said, I'm dealing with like a harder aspect of, for me anyways of, of the goddess. This might sound silly, but would you agree that feeling would be people tapping into their feminine energy since so suppressed like look down upon if you're yeah yeah i think it's an interesting point and i love and and thank you for reminding me about anana and it's no surprise to me that she's she's made herself known in our session um because yeah and i love that 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 quote from louise hay if you can feel you can heal 
And it's so true. And it's something that I keep reminding myself of often because there is all this sort of judgment around feelings and yeah, maybe not so much now. I don't know. I'm kind of so out of the corporate world for, for over 10 years now, but um, and I never was a victim of this because I, I, you know, I had very strong boundaries and I very Aries moon, very straight talking and men actually really like that. Um, so I didn't feel that sort of persecution as a woman in banking. Um, but yeah, to come back to Inanna and yeah, that, that very, I mean, this is it to be going down into the underworld. We do, we do need to do some work down there. Um, and I had a very powerful experience with Inanna when I was going through some shaky times with my second kidney transplant. I had developed an, an endogenous virus and there were, you know, I was constantly having to be at hospital for tests and blah, blah, blah. But it was a real insight to, I had this moment of, you know, cry laughing in my lounge that was, you know, I can say it now without the charge, but it was just like, oh my God, I'm, cr- I'm creating what I already know. I know the feeling of losing a kidney transplant. I'm going to create the same freaking thing. And it was so confronting. It was so upsetting because it's like I'm setting my own nervous system on fire and this stripping of illusion. And I can't remember exactly how I came across Inanna. And this is the interesting thing, but her myth was I just, I, I really dug into it and I found um, a translation. So I think her myth was written, I think it's 4,000 years ago. If it's 2000, I apologize, but it's certainly a long time ago. Ancient Sumeria. So does that place it 4,000 years ago? Um, it's yeah, written predates like Aphrodite. Yeah, so I think it's I think it's four thousand. So she um and her myth is is exactly that. It's integration of shadow because her myth is her sister in the underworld, Arishkagal, asks for her help. And so she journeys down into the underworld, but she has to go through these sort of gateways of stripping away. So these seven gateways of no, you must surrender all your jewels, no, you must surrender all your clothes. It's this stripping, stripping, stripping uh, in order to go down into the underworld. And she gets betrayed by Arishkagal, her sister, and she has told her allies up above, you know, if I'm not back by this time, then please come and look for me. But she ends up kind of hung on a meat hook down in the underworld. She's been stripped of absolutely everything. And I that was what got it. It's like that. I know what that feels like. That's what it is. I've been hung on a meat hook. <laughs> yeah. just, you know, and I'm sure that that, I'm sure that you relate to that as well. And and you, you, she does get saved by her allies. And it's ultimately this myth that was carved in ancient Sumerian on clay tablets and that's been preserved for us to benefit of it now. You know, people have translated it and I read the translation uh, and it's beautiful. There's a lot of repetition in it. But it, if you can get get your hands on it, or if you're interested, I can I can send it to you. It's it's really, and there might have been some of it in the book that you read already. But ultimately, we are in Anna and Irishkagal. So it's not like, oh, you betrayed me or my sister. It's like how, and this is for me, one of the most painful wounds to get over is our self-betrayal. How we betray ourselves and we keep abandoning ourselves. And to play to our strengths, it requires that we sit in quiet at least for a short time every now and then and recognize that we each have something very powerful to offer. And it's not going to be the same as anyone else. To claim our medicine effectively, which I think the goddess really helps us with, and to claim our feelings and integrate them. Yeah, and one thing about the Anana story is that she's, 
I believe at the moment when she goes to the underworld, she's gotten to the point where she's like a very powerful goddess. Like she's amassed all this power and this strength in a different story where uh, I believe she tricks her father, obtain that like power. So then when she's going to the underworld and she is being stripped of all of these things, it's even more heartbreaking because she had work to get that what she is. So then the questions start to become like, who am I without these yeah. Back to what you had mentioned. Yeah, like who who am I to my core? What is mm-hmm. who am I? Yeah. What is my purpose? And one of the things I did discover from that journeying, doing that journey, the soul searching, is that things are not as difficult as they things are not as difficult. We are all created perfect and you showing up as yourself, doing things that you enjoy doing is of service to the world. You being a kind individual to a random stranger is of service to the world and does not have to be titles or um, material to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now um, we were talking about like the goddess and so the moon is definitely important when we speak of her. I mean, there are solar goddesses. Yeah. Uh, get me wrong. Um, sometimes they get overlooked, I think, because you know, the moon and popular culture and stuff like that. But um, how has your experience with the goddess affected you and like, let's say your relationship with the moon and observing like the moon phases and things like that in your own practice? Yeah, it's and it's it's liminal, isn't it? Because sometimes, you know, this deeper journeying and connecting with our dreams, it's all kind of very liminal and very lunar. And sometimes it's even hard to articulate. So Well, I I guess what's interesting to me is that after more deeply connecting with with the goddess energies and the seven goddesses that I met, and they're kind of like my my personal pantheon, and there's always others. I love Carly. You know, she's very much fire and sun medicine. That F you medicine is like, F you. I'm just going to stand on my power. I love Carly. I can't believe her. I can't believe her. We had a powerful meditation with her that stuck with both of us. And we, uh, in the meditation, you had to like, um, it's this way you breathe and you kind of like stick your tongue out. Like you think of like color imaging. Yeah. Yeah. And so we like did this. And then after both of our tongues felt like they were burnt. Like, I don't know, there's like a sensation on our tongues after. And we felt like it was like her acknowledging, like I was here with you, you know, and followed by like a lot of peace and yeah there's a lot of synchronicity yeah uh but it really like stuck with me the whole like experience with her yeah that we went through um can i ask what are your seven goddesses if you, you feel like sharing yeah, if you're... yeah no i would i would love to and um some of them are known like so carly is one she came right in she's like yeah i'm obviously here yeah <laughs> Um, and then some of them were, I was living in, you know, very near ancient woodland at the time. And I'm very connected to nature. I grew up in Zambia, the great gift of traveling a lot. Tree girl. So she's this kind of, yeah, she just appears as somebody very strong. And she, you know, she'll climb trees and she knows about the plants and she helps me understand those things a bit more. She's very earthy. So she sits on my, to bring in the Peru, Peruvian curandero, it's um, what Don Oscar teaches is, um, the cosmovision of a Pachacuti Mesa. So we create an altar that is really a cosm- cosmological representation. So the South is is the earth, um, Pachamama. And so she sits in the South. And then I've got Moon Maiden in the West and Angel Ray. So, you know, maybe the, qu- the more ethereal qualities 
like Reiki and those deeper meditations where we kind of travel into different places is more her. She's kind of that angelic energy, I suppose. Um, Kali is in the east, which is the direction of the sunrise and the element of fire. And then um, White Sage Goddess, um, just helping me learn more about, you know, plants and cooking, you know, to really enjoy our cooking, that practicality of feeding ourselves and that reciprocity of, you know, being paying attention to the food we put in our bodies because, you know, commercial farming practices are, again, it's that masculine pillaging of the nutrients and disrupting the ecosystem. And this is nothing new. We, we, we know this. But it's also, are we willing to really braid that into our days of honoring the food that we eat without being puritanical and putting ourselves in a spin? Because there's a lot of emotional pieces to our food patterns, of course. Uh, and then Red Kite, who is kind of like a little bit of Inanna, Red Kite Goddess. So that strong kind of vision Inanna is having like a red kite as one of her guides, um, you know, big, strong bird. And then in the middle is River Mermaid, who feels to me very Saraswati. So in the yogic um, slash Hindu mythology, the triple braid or the triple goddess is Kali, Saraswati and Lakshmi. So Lakshmi rises from the ocean, that churning ocean. She tumbles out gold coins to remind us of abundance and to be of generosity in our lives as much as we can. And Saraswati is the goddess of music and medicine. So she, you know, she plays the lute, she holds the lute in one hand and then books of knowledge in the other. And her, she sits at the third eye. So that river mermaid, just swimming the rivers of life, you know. And actually, I wonder if this is helpful because it's an image that I've had pulsing in very recently, probably this year mostly. But this image of how we are all walking along the riverbank of our own lives. And so we're tending to the health of our own river. How is it flowing? How does the environment look around us? And are we walking right by it? Or have we like, oh, I've forgotten about the river of life and I've wandered off somewhere? all we ever need to do is and it's the power of imagery and shamanic journeying really taps into this to come back to our own sacred river and meet the allies there'll be so many allies whether it's ancestors whether it's you know the owl sitting up in the tree or the chameleon giving you a wink chameleon's a very important ally for me yeah i mean there's it's very joyful and as cindy Miracasada, who teaches this course she repeatedly says the goddesses are real they're real we embody them we live them into the world and so you know we can write letters to them and write letters from them and just again finding our ways in or just ask them oh you know can you can you help me out with this? And then just pay attention to the signs and symbols that show up in the living field because that everything's in plain sight. It just gets hidden for many different reasons. Oh, yeah. I mean, connecting with these divinities can be so rewarding, you know, once you realize there is this like support system, like and like resonating with certain ones. And then like, I feel like they teach you a lot, too. I don't know if in your experiences you've had this, but you can kind of see their guidance when it comes in yeah and it's like hard to um describe how you know but you you know because you have that relationship with the divinity and you know it was them you know yeah um, it's really amazing exploring those avenues because there is so much support yes even just the angelic realm alone yeah yeah earth earth support or the earth yeah. spirits there's like celestial there's a lot of a lot out there that can help people if they're open to it and one thing i i feel too that it 
speaks to me about like these types of divinities is even if you don't necessarily like acknowledge them like their nature they can still influence your life you know even if you don't recognize that it's them per se in certain regards like that love is kind of like there regardless yeah um which is, I, you know, I think it's very powerful. I'm a part of this, like, well, there's this, like, feed I like to get on. I always talk about it with my friends. And people will say things like they think, like, a goddess is mad at them or something like that. And then a lot of the advice is that you're feeling this way or they feel disconnected from, like, the spirits and the like. It's because you're projecting that, like, you're disconnecting. So you just need to reach out because they're always there. They don't, like, abandon us. They don't just go, oh, well... That's it. Well, I'm done with you. You messed up, human. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yes. Like we project our wounds from like this existence and, and dealing with people and think that's how everything is. How the universe works. Yeah. Like, you know, plants grow regardless. You know what I'm saying? Um, they're not going to not grow because we, you know. Don't water them. Yeah. They're going to find a way. The nature's going to find a way mm. to survive. Um, and it's like, you know, that with other things as well. But um, yeah, it's that's great. I love hearing about the relationship people have with various like spirits. I feel like um, it's becoming more mainstream. Mainstream. Yeah. Which is really cool. Uh, I think of this prophecy. So I uh, was talking to her about Eos and about um, I forget the goddess's name. It's her daughter. And she represents the um, Virgo. Uh, she's associated with Virgo constellation. Her and um, another goddess who represents like Libra. And the story is that they were like the last goddesses to leave Earth through in the Iron Age. Because um, in Greek mythology, there's the golden, there's silver, and there's iron. So we're in the iron, I believe, or phasing out of it. It's cool that there's like these ages that are, are mirrored in a lot of different cultures. But with her myth, um, she's the last one to leave. And then the lore goes that she'll return one day and she'll return with the gods and other divinities. And so uh, at the time period, I guess people were waiting for her return. Even in more modern history, you can see just people using that story in various aspects. And um, so like the idea is that people will find the these helpers, these divinities again. And it, it, it's curious. It makes me wonder because we're, you know, astrology, we're moving into the age of Aquarius. So, like, are we moving into an age where we're more in line with nature, with, like, the celestial bodies, with the divinities that maybe we were the way we behaved, like, years and years and years ago? Like, maybe it's all coming back. And, um, and I keep hearing these stories of people who are connecting with various divinities, and it really makes me, you know, makes my ears go, like, Age of Yeah, or something to it, you know. It's really interesting. Yeah, um, it is. I love how you both articulate things so beautifully and so clearly. It's, it's, really, it's really wonderful. And I agree, I think, you know, that the dawning of the Age of Aquarius and it, that, that innovation and that, openness and that and, and when we because it, it depends where we're looking and that's why this what we focus on amplifies if we just turn that kaleidoscope more towards our spirituality and towards our divinity and like you were saying there is so much support it's 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 never ending and we can get filled up by that whether we call it prana or chi or the, the anima mundi which is such a premise of shamanic healing arts is that the living world, everything is living and breathing and pulsing. And 
it's kind of crazy making when we start to look at that the universe essentially in terms of normal matter is only about five percent and the rest is infinite expansion infinite space wow it's mind-blowing and yet we're so caught up in the physical you know and yes the physical is important our body temple but it's not just the physical as as you both know we sit in a meditation or or we we encounter advice and counsel in our dreams mm. is very it's so helpful so beneficial i i think it shows you too that everything has a purpose and everything matters yeah, so yeah. people discount our dreams like wherever every function of our being is important it and really, there's meaning to it all so yeah. It all starts with you. Yeah, well, I told you guys before, it's, we were talking about Anana and the goddesses, but I had that dream last night about the goddesses. So that's kind of, I've been kind of like mildly freaked out by that like during this interview. Um, <laughs> just, just mildly. Yeah. I'm like, There's been a lot of synchronicities happening, yeah. a whole conversation. Even mm-hmm. just talking about feeling and holding space, yeah. that alone there has been a massive rise, it seems, in anxiety and mm-hmm. panic. Yeah. And people tend to feel like they're isolated in those feelings, and it's not true. Like, collectively, there's a lot of people who are going through similar situations, and no one's ever truly alone. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. And, I, and I've experienced, you know, I've experienced things that I never experienced, and uh, like paranoia and yes. um, anxiety. Yes. Like, ah, oh, what? Anxiety. Anxiety. I didn't have these things and I think it's in part because they're talked about so much so it's a, it's a balance isn't it that yes it's great that these things are more out in the open but it's also we don't want to constantly have that narrative of everybody's anxious everybody's traumatized is how can we move more into a healing informed holistic world which includes the goddesses which includes the dreams which includes the spirituality mm-hmm. um yeah it's vast and magical you know more magical thinking (laughs) yes and how can we find joy in life and in enjoying this experience yeah that's the question people need to ask oh okay yeah how do we find oh my gosh it's such a big one isn't it because we're moving through different different phases in our own lives just like the moon moves through different phases so i guess it's just connecting with a sense of firstly what what we feel to be joy and can we let ourselves open up to okay when was the last time i experienced joy this is where the somatic piece comes in so what is what has been experienced in the body and you know this is hopefully at least one experience comes to mind that was joyful but recognize that it's probably something that feels quite soothing at the same time. Like we don't want to put ourselves under pressure that oh, it has to be euphoria and it has to feel amazing because that is too much pressure. So it's this in yoga, it's called santosha, which means just quiet joy, contentment. It's not reliant or dependent on anything else. And for me, I return it back to that simple placing a hand on on heart. And feeling the joy of your own heartbeat. Your heart beats only for you. And yet we are linked into the cosmic heart because we're only here from others. And I wonder if this if this is maybe a way into to joy and appreciation that at about 21 days in utero, so we're probably about the size of a lentil then, which again is mind-blowing. But how did we start as a lentil and then now we're this extraordinary body of all sorts of things that we receive 
from the heartbeat of our mother, from her SA node, which is the sinoatrial node, the impulse that starts to pulse into what are called the pre-myocardial cells um, of our own heart. So it, it's another spark that sparks us into life. And then those cells pulse and then they become the heart, which is formed in incredible folds and twists and spirals so that it can be so strong. So even if we just know that, that, okay, and if, I know this can bring stuff up because maybe the, the mother relationship has challenge, I understand, but tap more into the mother energy, you know, the energy of mother, the energy of nurturer, that something sparked your heart to grow and to beat. And that will always be with you for as long as you are living in this extraordinary body. It's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I do want to talk about the moon, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, like, interested in that. Um, <laughs> when did you um, start, like, leaning into the moon, like, energy more? Is this, like, a newer or have you always kind of, like fell into that I think it's newer you know and I I think if I if I put space around it and allow myself to be liminal and kaleidoscopic in this inquiry it brings me to memories of when um so where I'm living now in Ramsgate on the on the Kent coast I went through a whole process of discovering it so I was making sure that I was visiting it and getting a sense for it before I made the move and I would find most times that I would be traveling back that I would come out and it was mostly daytime. I'd look up and there'd be like a crescent moon just hanging out. And I just started to notice her a lot more, like she was this sort of secret guide. So that was one thing. And then I had, yeah, I think this is probably the moment. It was the October full moon. So I just missed this two months after I've moved, you know, changed my life, moved out of London and come to this Georgian house near the sea where I have my own garden which is just stunning it has this huge bunch of rosemary and, and sage very established and very powerful and I was sitting um, outside under the moonlight which is not something I typically do I definitely do it more now and I had a hot water bottle because it was a bit chilly it was night time and I just thought this is absolutely fantastic this mm -hmm. is so good and she was just pouring into me I think it's called hunter's moon and there are many different names for the different moons throughout the year but what and, that, and this is it and thank you for asking because it's helping me articulate it I had this very powerful realization I think it was when I was standing in my kitchen the next morning of I need to like share more about the moon and I had read somewhere that this year there are 13 full moons. So that's because we have a blue moon um, this year. So we have two full moons in August. Um, and this happens, you might know the phrase, once in a blue moon. Yeah. I think it happens maybe every two and a half years, something like this. So it's not that it's super extraordinary, but it's, it's, you know, it's not every year. And so I started to craft, and this was also helping me tap into more focus and discipline and commitment in how I was strategizing the work of Holy Aligned. And, you know, it's 10 years old now. Where do I want to take it? And so I created this whole arc, which I've never done with a, any program before. The arc of a whole year, called it 13 full moons. I wrote it all out. Um, and I did a whole lot of research into all the different names of the moons. And, you know, I'm only touching the surface. Uh, and I offered it out. And so I'm journeying along with this, which I know is going to help me get to know Grandmother Moon even more. But how people have responded to it as well, that everyone has this relationship in their own way. And whether we call it, oh, it's their relationship with the subconscious, with the mystical, 
you know, all the things like you were saying, Moon is much more in popular culture. But everybody, you know, like we can just ask the Moon a question and see what happens. It's that deep relationship with something, that deep relationship with something that doesn't ha- And that's the divine to me. Because so much, I was listening to, and I know this is slightly tangential, I was listening to Esther Perel um, yesterday. I'm not sure if you've come across her. She's an incredible Belgian psychotherapist, and she does a lot of work around relationships. And um, yeah, she was talking about, you know, how the, how marriage especially has changed so fundamentally that we put all the expectations on the marriage or on the other person to be that fulfillment, you know, be the best friend, be the lover, be the confidant, be the, the soulmate. And that wasn't what marriage originally was. Now, of course, you know, we don't want to be um, subversive women and repressed and just seen as as objects. So that, that it but what it highlighted and she made it, it was quite a brief reference, but she said where people used to have the relationship with the divine, they now put it all into the relationship with partner. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that was so interesting wow. this is to what we've been talking about return to the relationship with with all of these aspects that we can so it improves our relationships it doesn't put them under more pressure whether it's um, a a lover or whether it's a mother a father a cousin a sister a friend because friendships can be really tough you know so that I think the moon is it's 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 teaching me a lot this year wow that's so interesting I never thought of because we aren't having these deep relationships with like the divine or with ourselves or with ourselves but like we're putting a lot of pressure on external um you know people for for fulfillment yeah versus like going within but yeah it's so interesting wow do you feel that now that you've been exploring um this moon energy has it affected your dream space um has it like amplified it um because we know like there's a lot of power to be held in that space. Yeah. And then I'm wondering if by connecting with the moon, if it kind of modified that for you in any way. It's an interesting inquiry. And I know, you know, I tend to sleep very well. And I think sometimes, you know, I have, and I wonder if if you have these experiences as well. I just feel that I'm, I sleep so well and I'm so nourished. It's like there's a deeply supportive energy around me, even if it's not necessarily coming up in, in dreams. It feels that that liminal state you know the hypnagogic state that we move through as we're falling asleep and yeah I, I find that and this has probably happened for quite some years for some years I just find that I will have moments of of just waking up but not being fully awake and then feeling like god I'm so loved I'm so supported and I think that's really powerful and dream dream wise I you know I go through phases of keeping a dream diary I've done a, um, some courses with various dream teachers including Robert Moss and Ariella Daly they both have incredible work and so I think keeping a dream journal is really useful and what um what Robert Moss especially encourages is that you know it's not for anyone else to interpret our dreams so we use that as like there's a methodology to say you have a dream and then you're talking to a friend about it and then your friend can help by saying, okay, well, firstly, what would you call the dream? So you give it a title. It's like this process. And then, you know, how did you feel during the dream? Um, was anything familiar? Was anything new? So it's almost like this question. And you can absolutely ask yourself the, the this methodology as well, where you're just sticking to the facts and resisting the need to interpret it, but to see what comes out of that. And it's like anything, it's a practice. And 
it's interesting because I had a very powerful dream actually when I was in hospital in September 2020. I used to have this feeling of what I once I started started studying dreams more what I think was trying to go out of body but when I was sort of a young teenager I wasn't quite sure what was happening and so I, it was some sort of form of sleep paralysis. Um, does it does that sound familiar? Have either of you experienced that? Yes yeah. Yeah yeah. A couple of friends who have battled with sleep paralysis um so yeah we're yeah <laughs> like know about it yeah it's an interesting thing because it's also I mean the body needs to do that to protect us from acting out our dreams mm. um but it's so and I haven't had that for a long time I did used to get it more when I was a teenager but I had the sort of the feeling of it and I was I was able to be in the I was even able to stay in my body whilst I was having this feeling of oh I really need to let go and I went down this massive black hole and it opened up um I kind of came over this huge sort of sand ca- sand castle like a huge temple or something something very ancient and I ended up down there and I was the only one I was the only one in there I'm sure there were others but I, the, it was a very small scene that then played out and there was this sort of fairy very old fairy that came and she took me up to this sort of brick window within the 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 floor and we were on a sort of a a pathway sandstone I think like sandstone that kind of feeling and there was a window and then there were these three gifts hanging and I can't quite remember I think one might have been an earring and then I woke up just as I think somebody was coming to the window but that was that was the first time I, I went with it and I, because it, it and I wonder if this is familiar that when we start to feel that there can be a bit of fear, or there can be a lot of fear. It's like, where am I going? Mm. <laughs> Will I come back? <laughs> but it was extraordinary, and maybe that's the only time I'll ever experience it. Or it's the risk of like we don't want to get attached to these things and then insist, oh, I must repeat that experience. But just to be humbled that we can have these experiences. It's very interesting. And I think probably my mum was quite worried about me at the time. And we are very close. And and that, you know, that can come with sometimes we need to be a bit more boundary. But it's also a blessing to have that close relationship. But um, yeah, she she called me up um, and said, oh, you were standing at the end of my bed last night. So... (laughs) Oh my God. I, I, and, and I, I was probably doing quite a lot of the shamanic inquiries. And I said, God, I, well, I didn't do, I don't know. I mean, was it me or was it something else? But she was very, she said, no, you were, she said, hey, she has a funny turn of phrase. She's like, I nearly had a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool, though. It's so, yeah, yeah and cool. she, she said you were wearing a pink coat and you were just saying, I'm fine. Wow. wow. What do they call a dream walker? Yeah, I was um reading a couple books about astral projection mm. um probably like last year. Uh so was, I have like very vivid dreams and I was like, Am I astral projecting in some of these? And like uh, I was exploring like the concepts of like the astral world and all of that. And um it's like a very fine line. Yeah. Between like lucid dreaming and astral projection, if not like being the same thing. Um I kind of lean into them being very much similar. Um, I know you can intentionally astral project and you can do that with like lucid dreaming. Like, you know, there's herbal mixtures you can make to help lucid dream. Certain spirits can help you lucid dream. But yeah, I always think it's really interesting. Those two concepts, like, are they the same thing or are they different? You know, because they're so similar. Yeah. 
it it just, it just speaks to our multi-dimensionality, I think, as well. And that to take the I out of that, I wasn't doing that. I mean, I had no clue. And it's just, it, it's humbling and interesting. And, you know, again, these might just be one-off experiences. But, and you'll know this, the, the deeper we go into our practices, it just opens stuff up. Uh, and to have discernment, you know, to choose our teachers wisely with resonance and, you know, to really listen to those little red flags that might go off because, you know, people do, people can get a bit lost on their path as a teacher. That's something I'm always mindful of that, oh no, my has ego taking over or, oh no, did I say something inappropriate? Or just to, you know, check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, to also trust trust yourself as well. It's um, but no, I mean the thirteen full moons has been a, a real pleasure to create, and I, I've I've celebrated that I had. It was interesting to kind of oh, you know, writing the full moon for December twenty twenty three, and um, you might know that the full moon is in Leo coming up yeah. on Sunday. So it's that I've been really thirsty for the past few days. Like oh my God, there's some Leo fire. <laughs> yeah, thirsty. More positive momentum. Yeah. 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 That warm-hearted lion. Yeah. 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 I have a lot of Leo placements mm-hmm. in my chart. Yeah. Have you live? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> like an astonishing amount. I can't remember the num- exact number, but it's like extremely heavy hmm. in Leo. That's, do you feel that that lends itself well to performance? I think it helps me because I'm a Cancer Sun. Um, yeah. And I'm a Taurus moon, and I feel like the Leo placements help to overshadow some of the um, emotional stuff that comes along with being a water sign. Yeah. 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 I I like, you know, my Venus is a Leo, so. Like, love, love that. Um, Always affinity for the sun. Yeah. Just kind of funny, like, I um, definitely lean into, like, the solar, like, (laughs) energies. And I'm finding, I found over a process of of time. Isn't solar energy attached more towards the masculine? Yeah. Yeah, and you operate very heavy in masculine energy. To an extent, yeah. To an extent, yeah. You're a good balance. I think everybody, Giant, we all yeah. have that duality. Yeah. yeah. I have some interesting placements regarding, like, that type of stuff. Um, like, I have, like, this really interesting placements. I always think about it. It's So we did uh, past life astrology. I always, it, like, stayed with me. They, like, send you information about, um, it's almost like a book about yourself. It's so cool. And um, it's on Cafe Astrology. And then from there, I started doing other delves into, like, astrology. So I have this, like, one transit that talks about, like, my relationship with, um, like, the moon and the divine feminine, which is really cool. And how, like, my past life kind of – I'm, like, carrying, like, past life, like, wounds in this life still. And one of them is this interesting – I have, like – Mars and Aries and it's in retrograde and so it's like I have an issue with like like power dynamics and how um masculine energy is like expressed and um where I must I have like wounds from a past life from this like patriarchal like society like energy um but it can also be expressed like very masculine Mm -hmm. as well it's like weird it's a really weird I don't want to deal with that energy like it's in retrograde it's like I don't want to be that you know yeah um but uh 
also I don't want to be the victim of that. And it's like this thing that's been carried. So I don't know what happened in the <laughs> like past lives, but according to astrology, I'm like carrying that, which is like pretty cool to me um, that our charts can say things that we feel, but we don't express, you mm -hmm. know? Um, yeah. So. I, I agree. That's so powerful. And that, yeah. yeah. It's, but it's such an insight, isn't it? Yeah. That's what I find about astrology. And, and in recent years, I've just, I found it so, so helpful to just know these things. And, and I love that you've mentioned cafe astrology, because again, who knows why we're drawn to these things, but that's the, that's the place that I go to and that have, that have been for the past sort of five, six years or even more. It's amazing what I'm saying. Amazing what I'm saying. It's so good. And I got, is, is that past, is that Stephen Forrest or is it a different person who oh, does that? Shoot. I can't remember. Sure. Um, I know they offer it. We we ordered it years ago, but I still like have it and I'll like reference it. We actually yeah. did their past life one and then their goddess one. Yeah, yeah. Um, the goddess one is very cool too because it talks about like the energies of um, various asteroids and things like that associated with mm -hmm. um, different goddesses and how you express that energy, which was really nice. I thought it was really cool. So yeah, they have a lot of really awesome chart interpretations that you know you can look into. But the past life one is by far really like resonated, and I find too certain aspects of astrology can help you step into your life expression. Uh, I was talking about like the North Node and the South Node. Yes. Um, you know, we our default is going to be that South Node energy, and going into the North Node energy is like what we know we want to do at our core, but it's like so hard to like overcome and like move into that. So like yeah. my South Node's in Virgo and North Node's in Pisces. Oh, yeah, it's like really like, and I'm a double Virgo, so I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a Mercurian, if you can't like tell. Yeah. Okay. Oh God. Yeah. I, I love it but it does I just you know years ago that wouldn't have meant anything to me but now I just yeah I get it I understand that and you're so right because um and it's a theme for me this year true north true north true north true north because Taurus is you know this is the nutrition this is how to do it why aren't you doing it this is how you do it wow. uh, and then Scorpio is my north node so it's that deep I have you know deep fascination in life and the mysteries and to embody those and I can feel that I can really feel that um adventure wow I can see yeah. that being your north node for oh sure. for sure yeah yeah yes my fiance is flipped his is um his north node's in Taurus um, so he's like comfort and <laughs> he's like I did all that I need to like chill this is this is my easy life yeah. <laughs> I love that yeah. that's so cool and that's very complimentary for you as well yeah and mine's trying to teach me independence yeah hers is cancer south node and what Capricorn, Capricorn yeah it's nice. trying to teach me um independence pretty much yeah. and it's funny my past life report was telling me all kinds of crazy stuff <laughs> Um, about um like my some of my past lives and uh like relationship stuff and that's like mirroring in this yeah. <laughs> in this realm but yeah it's so it fascinating out. I, I recommend 10 out of 10 we had a lot of <laughs> yeah we, we suggest that report to everybody it's so like it's good. juicy it's fun yeah and that's the thing and I often I often find astrologers and astrologists are really great writers and that I only mentioned was it Stephen Forrest because I got the sky within oh, okay. um which is also on cafe astrology and they're so reasonably priced yes, uh, yeah like so generous and that 
again, just the way he writes, like that this might appeal to the double Virgo because <laughs> okay. uh, my son is in Virgo. But the, it, there's something about like it's like it's like you have uh, an insurance policy against complacency. Which is just yeah. <laughs> phrasing it. But yeah, I can't just sit back and like no, I've got to like get get on get things done and stick to the routine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's no, I love this. That just it, it returns back to there's so many ways in and there's so many tools to explore and to understand ourselves. Know thyself, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's say we're over an hour. Yeah. Um, I think we should probably close up the episode. Is there anything you want to add before uh, we end it today? No, I think just, you know, it's such a pleasure to spend this time with you both. I honor it and appreciate it deeply. And I, I guess maybe end on that healing happens in a spiral and we're always journeying through endings and beginnings and marking the ending to let go of something and to to let those those energies of new beginnings to to herald in and so just you know be in the spiral it's okay to find things a bit sticky and then you know know that there'll be there'll be another entry point into something that feels different and more hopeful wow wow it's 11 uh 111 yeah one one on the clock yeah uh, we're so grateful to have you on the podcast again you're such an amazing person uh we highly encourage the listener to look in all of everything that you do yeah, <laughs> you're such an amazing person like we're barely scratching the surface here mm-hmm. like honestly give ted talks and everything yeah start googling <laughs> Thanks, grateful. And yeah, if anybody wants to, you know, hit me a note, drop me a note about anything that we've talked. I love getting messages from people, you know. So I'll just put that out there. You're so welcome to reach out um, and just, you know, let me know whatever you want to let me know about. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah.